Look out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. My name is David Vignola. This week, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about monitors for your studios and subwoofers. I have a really special guest. We have Josh Estock from Focal, the director of marketing at Focal USA. Josh is going to talk to us about studio monitors and what to consider when picking up new studio monitors and the pros and cons to subwoofers and acoustic treatment and so much more. So we got an expert in the industry going to help us with choosing studio monitors. So sit back, relax, get yourself a cool drink, and let's listen to part one of two of my interview with Josh Estock from Focal right here on the Home Recording MadeEasy.com podcast. Well, 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 everyone. Welcome back to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode number 51, I believe. 51. This is episode 51, I think, um, of our podcast. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode. Now, this is going to be part one of two. This is a two-part episode. We're going to do this week. We're going to do part one. Next week, we're going to do part two. And as I said in the little intro there, you heard we talked, we're going to talk to Josh Estock, who works for Focal. And oddly enough, he also used to work for Sweetwater and used to be my personal sales engineer, which is an interesting little fact. A few weeks ago, we had a podcast episode talking about studio monitors and subwoofers. And seeing as I'm in the middle of and have been in the middle of building out my new analog workflow over mixing music analog. Some of you may have known about that. And if you don't know about that, check out mixingmusicanalog.com. Link will be in the show notes below. Um, and I am setting up my new system and I've already have and have been using Focal monitors, my solo six B or solo BE sixes for about seven or eight years now. And I love them, but I'm going to be going into a bigger mixing space soon enough. Um, and I wanted to upgrade my monitors and I wanted to stick with Focal, maybe get something with a little more power, a little bit bigger woofer. Wanted to try out some different Focal monitors. So wanted to talk to someone at Focal about that. And oddly enough, Josh happens to work there. So, um, we wanted, I wanted to talk to him about that. And when, as I started to talk to Josh, we talked about, this would be a great podcast episode to talk to people about the different, uh, series of Focal monitors, everything from the entry level affordable to the crazy, insane, <laughs> expensive and everything in between. And more importantly for all of our listeners, what do you consider when you choose, when you're choosing new monitors for your, for your, uh, for your studio, for your home studio. And we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast episode, a couple of podcast episodes ago, you heard my opinions, but now we're also going to talk to someone who's in the field from, of selling monitors that understand monitors, understands acoustic treatment, understands speaker design and how it all works. And we're going to get a lot of great information. So this was about an hour conversation I had with Josh. We're going to split it up into two episodes here. This week will be part one and next week will be part two. So if you're someone that's in the market for new studio monitors, whether you, you know, like Focal or not, although I would highly recommend you at least check out Focal because they, their speakers are outstanding. They sound amazing. I'm a big supporter of them. But all the information you're going to hear in this week and next week episode really doesn't matter whether you choose a Focal monitor or any brand. A lot of the same principles will, all the principles we talk about are going to apply. Everything from speaker placement, acoustic treatment, the pros and cons of subwoofers, and so on and so forth. So this was really cool. Josh is a really great guy. He knows his stuff. And uh, I highly recommend that you sit back and relax. This episode will be a little bit longer than normal and next week's will be as well and take some notes and really understand 
the whole way speakers really work in your studio. And even if you're not in the market for buying new monitors, just understanding what the proper placement is, just understanding what a, what, what, uh, you know, how to get your mixes to translate and how important acoustic treatment is and how big of a room you need if you want to have a certain size speaker in your room. All that information is going to absolutely help. And all that stuff is very critical to getting your mix to translate outside of your studio. And we talk in depth with Josh about that. So that's what we're going to do this week. So make sure you sit back and relax. All the links uh, for everything will be in the show notes below. Um, you know, if you have any questions, you can certainly email me through the website. So right now, let's talk with Josh. And let's talk about studio monitors right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com and also MixingMusicAnalog.com. And you're going to be on the YouTube channel and the podcast. And um, this week, we got a really special guest. Um, we're talking to Josh Estock, who is the North American Pro Director of Focal. Now, the interesting thing about Josh is that Josh also used to work at Sweetwater and was my personal sales engineer. So a lot of you know that I've been on the market now looking for some upgraded monitors. I currently use in my studio the Focal Solo B6Es with the subwoofer, the Focal subwoofer, and they're fantastic. And I think Josh is the one that actually turned me on to Focal uh, about seven or eight years ago. And since I've started to build out this new mixing studio, I thought maybe I'd like to upgrade my monitors and I want to stick with Focal. They got some new models out and I've been working with my good buddies over at Sweetwater. So this is kind of a, a co, for lack of a better word, sponsored video between Sweetwater and Focal and, our, and myself. And we're working together to try to find the best monitor for me. So between Josh and Sweetwater, we have a couple of different monitors uh, that we're going to be listening to and looking at over the next several weeks. We have obviously my Solo B6s. We have the, the Twin, Solo Twin BE, which is the step up. We're also going to take a look at some shape monitors by Focal, which I'll talk to Josh about, which is the more their, more their um, less expensive monitors for people that are interested in getting into the Focal line. And then we're also going to take a look at the Trio. I think the, the Trio 6s uh, we're going to take a listen to as well. And we're going to have all four sets of monitors up in the studio. And we're going to flip back and forth. And I'm going to decide which set of monitors do I want to upgrade to. I have a feeling it's not going to be the less expensive shapes. It's probably going to be the twins or the trios, but that's okay. It's really, really cool. And I love Focal and I've been a big supporter of them for a long time. So Josh, thank you so much for joining me today here and giving and helping us out with some, um, some things that we're going to talk about as far as what we should be looking for in monitors and giving some people some information if they're in the market for monitors, what kind of things should they be looking for, right? So thanks, Josh, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's 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 a small world. It comes full circle sometimes. <laughs> it really is. So uh, in the way this kind of happened was I was talking to Tyler over at Sweetwater and we were discussing this whole monitor shootout thing. And the way this kind of happened for people that don't know is I got the twins. You don't see them. They're over my shoulder here, though. And I was I was uh, listening to the to the twin sixes against my solo sixes and i thought the twin was just going to be the same monitor with an extra driver because it looks exactly the same i thought it would be exactly the voice the same it would just be a bigger cabinet maybe a little more low end and when i compared them back and forth and, and couldn't believe how much of a stark difference they of the sound especially in the mid-range i said to tyler let me talk to someone at focal do you know anyone i can talk to any and he had said, yeah, Josh is the uh, is now working at Focal. Wasn't he your sales engineer at one time at Sweetwater? And I says, yes. And that's how we kind of hooked up. So it really is. A yeah, world. it really, really is. Yeah, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I sold you the Solo 6s originally or not, but um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, even before I worked here, I was 
the first, when I started working at Sweetwater, literally the first thing I bought as an employee was a pair of Solo Sixes. Oh, um, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, So, you know, I'm not totally, totally full of it, you know? Yeah, yeah no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fantastic. And I think yeah. you could sell them to me. I, it's about that time frame. It's been about yeah. seven years I've been here. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Um, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic speakers. And, um, and so when I was on the lookout for my new monitors, I have no desire to even listen to other brands. And I know there's a lot of great speakers out there, but I love the Focal sound and particularly the Beryllium tweeter, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about. Um, I just think with a bigger space, I might want a bigger set of speakers, or yeah. it's just an excuse for me to spend money that I really don't hey. have to begin with. But hey, I can't take it with me, so we may as well try to uh, enjoy it while we have it. Yeah. Um, so, Josh, what I'd like to talk about, maybe because there's a lot we talk, we've talked about this on my podcast before. I've done YouTube videos on it. We've talked about this in live streams with some with some of my students talking about monitors. And I have opinions on monitors, and I'd love to get some ears. I'd like to talk about a, a few topics today. First of all, let's talk about, you have really three, I guess, series, if you will, of monitors, right? You have the, the shape series, and then you have the, the solo or the series, and then you have the trio series, right? Can you talk a little bit about those? Three yeah, well, and, what, what and, and there's actually, there's actually, if we're looking at it that, in that, in that way, um, there's, there's almost four series. So mm -hmm. um, our very introductory line, we have a, a series called Alpha Evo, that's, that's, uh, I wouldn't say entry level necessarily, but uh, kind of the, the best speaker we feel like we can make at, at the least expensive price point um, that we can we can justify having. So um, you know those those come in kind of between four hundred dollars a pair and eight hundred dollars a pair, depending on the size of the model and all that stuff. Then you have the Shape Series, which is definitely a step up from that. Those are those are made in France, you know, uh, just like everything else, um, with the exception of the Alpha Series. Um, and then we have SM6 series and SM6 is really kind of broken into two components, as, as you mentioned, um, we've got so the solos and the twins, and then you've got the, the trio six and the trio 11. Um, okay. So th those are kind of in the same series, but yeah, the, the trio nomenclature doesn't, isn't super, super clear there. Um, right. And what, yeah. what are kind of the, what, are, I mean, outside of the price points, right. And there's something for everyone there, but what are kind of the main differences? Like what's the difference between the solos and say the trios outside of maybe I know some of them have a couple extra drivers. What, what, is there any, mm -hmm. is all the speakers when I want again, foolish me looking at them, they look the same and you look at the driver and you look at the tweeter and you go, they look identical. Mm -hmm. It's just in a different cabinet. Is that really not true? Or what are the real differences between them? Yeah. So, so there's kind of a, a, a number of, of different, well, a number of differences and it's, and it's kind of based on, on our approach, right? We, we kind of look at things when we're designing things in more of a use case scenario, right? Like who, a, who's the customer, um, you know, in terms of obviously the price is going to dictate who can afford certain things, uh, you know, unfortunately yeah. in the grand scheme of things, but beyond that, like what situation are they actually using these speakers in? Are they in a small, a small space where they need to listen close? Are they in a bigger space, a large control room where they need high SPL level um, or a lot of low end extension? And if so, how, how far away are they from the speakers in that situation? Um, and we kind of scale those in a way where we feel like we can deliver a similar experience in terms of, um, you know, linearity and, and, and um, clarity and all those things, but just get bigger. So what you'll find, for instance, in, in SM6 is you start with the Solo 6, which is a single two-way driver, right? And then gradually you notice as you move up in the series, you get to the Twin 6, like you mentioned, that has a, a two, two six and a half inch drivers and a one inch tweeter, um, where you you don't necessarily get more low end, you'll, you'll get some more output, but you actually gain more efficiency, right? Because in a two-way right. speaker, you've got that one uh, driver that's handling all the mid-range content, uh, you know, 
two and a half K and down, um, and then all the base content. So there's a certain amount of efficiency that driver is doing a lot of work. It's covering a lot of sonic, uh, you know, area, if you will, um, versus something like a twin. It's actually splitting that load up of all of that, that low end information, that mid range information. So there's more efficiency, right? If you have a really, really long, you know, a 40 hertz cycle, if you're talking about uh, the amount of energy it requires, it takes 10 to 15 times as much energy to reproduce, reproduce a 40 hertz tone than it does a 1K tone, right? So if you imagine a, a, a woofer, one driver trying to do this in a broad sweeping motion and at the same time do this, right? it's a lot harder for that. So what happens is the low end can, in some cases, mask the mid-range um, of things. So that's what you're hearing in a twin six where you jumped up and you said, oh, the mid-range is a lot more present. Well, it's, it's actually because those two drivers are sharing that load. One driver's managing everything 200-ish down, and then the other one's handling everything else. So it just kind of allows more efficiency in the grand scheme of things. And then you, you move up to TRIO 6 and TRIO 11, which are true three-ways. Once again, adding more efficiency, adding bigger cabinets, bigger drivers, so it can effectively reproduce that sound you know, signature, um, whatever program materials coming in, going out as, as accurately as possible. Right. Um, so and when you have the three drivers, I guess, then the crossover points are going to be different as well, right? So when the twin correct. have those two, those two mid-range drivers are going to be crossed over at different points. Correct. Are the speakers, um, for lack of a better word, are they tuned different than like what's in the solo? Or is it just simply be by having that second driver, you're taking over some of the low end duties and therefore being more efficient. And therefore that's why you, the perceived, the perception is that it's, it's more mid-range uh, pushed, if you will, or more open in the mid range and say the solos, or are they, are they tuned differently? Is it what, what it's all, it's all crossover. So for instance, with the twin, and it depends on, on how you have them switched. So on the back of the twin, you'll notice there's a, a left and a right switch yeah. that yeah. that will change what each driver's uh, fed, right? So there's, there's three dedicated amplifiers in that speaker, um, but they're crossed over differently. So one driver's handling actually 240 down. Um, the other one is handling everything two and a half K and down. So they're splitting up that low end uh, duty, if you will. Um, and which just allows for that mid range to operate a little more freely, but they're the same driver. Um, the amplifier topology on each channels on each speaker is the same. They're just crossed over differently uh, to kind of subdivide um, those, those duties in, in a way that's more efficient. So it is the same speaker. So is that Correct. Uh, same yeah. thing with the beryllium tweeter? Is that is the same tweeters in, in both those models? Sure. Well, it, yeah. So, so the solo and twin have the same, the same drivers. When you go to the trios, they do not have the same drivers, but the tweeter on all of them, even though they look similar on the surface, they're not necessarily the same because the, the, the voice coil behind them can be a little overwound on one. The magnet structure may be a little bit larger because you need to create a higher SPL level. But, but for the most part, the driver material and the tweeter material is the same on the solos and twins. Um, and then when you go to the trio series, the, the trio uh, 11 uh, and six share the same, same tweeter, but the mid range uh, and the, the low frequency drivers are different. It's completely so, different, right? And also the same, the same philosophy behind all of it, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's, it's, you know, Focal, when you get into the grand scheme of how we make speakers, right, it's it's kind of a, a comparison of three components, right? And it's and it's like how heavy that driver is, the mass of that driver, how rigid that driver is, meaning because if it flexes, it's going to distort, whether it's audibly or it's just making it, uh, you know, uh, it's creating unlinear artifacts in one way or another, right? Uh, and then dampening. So how much, how much tone that that material makes on its own, right? Because if you run energy through 
you know, uh, reason we use beryllium because it has pretty much no resonance. Um, if you right. run, a, you know, a, a signet or a sound, a tone through titanium, titanium rings. Um, I looked at p- pitchforks to, to illustrate this, but it literally it rings. You know, you run the input tone in, the input tone stops. It's going to ring for a certain amount of time after. Beryllium it has next to no resonance, um, but that's also why it's expensive. So you know, that's right. kind of that's kind of part of it. It's all. It's all making sure those three kind of fundamental components are, are a match and can kind of meet certain price points where we find they're most efficient uh, sonically and and from a cost perspective too. Yeah, and I think that beryllium tweeter in the focal it, it gives it's that focal sound right. So I mean, what would that that really pleasant top and that that really non brittle kind of top ends is yeah. because of that beryllium tweeter, and that's what makes that focal the focal has that specific sound that sounds completely different than anything else I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a it's a it's an interesting material. It's like the it's it's super expensive. It is a natural, you know, like if you go back to high school chemistry class and you look at the periodic table, um, beryllium is is a pure it's a pure element. So, um, but yeah, it has very unique properties. Um, it, we have all the tooling that, that we use to form those is done in house. We literally get them in, in sheets. So, um, and they're press formed and, and laser cut and, and all the stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely has a, a sonic signature. We're the only ones who use brilliant really at, at this point in time. Um, I'm sure that's probably because of patents and, and stuff too, but right, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some benefits of it. It's, it's just really, really light. It's really, really rigid. Um, and it, like I said, the damping tone. So, so you can listen to it forever without it fatiguing your ears. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That's one um, thing I noticed with those is I can listen and mix all day long at reasonable volumes and you don't feel ear fatigue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I really love them. So now we have these three different types of series and all, again, at all different price points and all the different engineering. So if someone's in the market for choosing for monitors, what do you tell people when they say, look, I'm in the mo- market for monitors. I mean, what are the first kind of things that they should consider? I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, right? I mean, wh- yeah. wh- what do you, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, they want to get the biggest speaker with the biggest cabinet, the, the biggest thing they can afford, but that yeah. isn't always the, the right thing to do. Right. So what things would you consider? When you yeah. in the market for monitors. Yeah, totally. And honestly, it, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, that somebody wants the biggest, the biggest thing. That's I, I try to talk people off the cliff all the time. It's like, hey, man, spend. It's not often a guy tells you to spend less money, but right. I'm telling you, spend. Don't you don't need this huge thing all the time. Now, maybe there's some cases where you do, but the first question is is a in my mind, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, is the goal to wow a client on the couch in the back of the room? Okay. Cause if that's the case, um, maybe it's a different conversation than if you're trying to, you know, do one pass mixes and never do a recall in your life. Um, you know, and never have to take it out to the car, or listen, or never have to audition here or there or wherever, you know, um, those are, those are two different things, but normally the conversation is, yeah, I want, I want a really transparent speaker that, that delivers, you know, uh, a reliable result. Um, that's what we do. We make studio monitors, right? So there, there shouldn't be any secrets there, but, but so that's usually the first question is intent. And the second question is how big is your space? Right. Um, you know, uh, how much room treatment do you have up in the wall? Because yep. fr- frankly, the room is part of your monitoring environment, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, it's between your ears uh, uh, and the speaker. So, um, unfortunately, uh, the room has a pretty significant impact on the way speakers um, sound. I've seen I've seen people. I've literally had people message me like, 
hey, I just had my room retreated and they'd sound like totally different speakers because um, the, the room can totally compromise the way you're experiencing everything. So, um, and by that token, buying the biggest speaker and putting in a teeny tiny untreated room is, is uh, not a good investment, you know, not a good use of your money. Right. So, right, right. So it's just trying to maximize that, that relationship in a way for the, for the customer that, that makes sense for them. Cause maybe somebody's in a situation where they can't, they can't treat a room the way they want to treat it. Maybe they're in an apartment or maybe they're a student and they live in a dorm room. They can't put stuff on the walls. You know, the, there's considerations, uh, you know, in those cases, I'd say, yeah, let's maybe look at a smaller speaker that you can sit closer to. Um, so there's less room interaction, you know, I mean, those are all kind of key components uh, before we even go into speakers or models or anything like that. Right. So I think the, yeah. And if you, if the room isn't going to work for you and I say it all the time, acoustic treatment's huge. If you can't acoustically treat the room, you'd be better off buying a good set of Focal monitoring headphones yes. for five, yeah. 600, $800 or whatever, and mixing on a really good set of headphones as opposed to putting a really nice set of speakers in an untreated room. Right. Because yeah. the mix, because I think most people that, you know, that are looking for monitors, there's two things that probably they have in common. One, they probably don't have the largest space, right? If we're in a home studio environment, we're probably in a 10 by 10 space, 12 by 12 space, or maybe like a basement of some kind, right? Um, and number two, we probably have some acoustic treatment, but it's probably not professionally tuned the room, right? It's mm -hmm. probably some, some bass traps and maybe some absorption. So when we talk about room size, if you have like a 10 by 10 or a 12 by 12, and let's say you had it adequately uh, acoustically treated for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. Where, from us from the speaker size standpoint, where, where do you kind of like, you know, guide people? Is it, it, I would assume if it's a ten by ten space, it's not the trio eleven, right? Yeah, probably yeah. not. You know, yeah, def definitely not. Is what I, I would definitely not recommend that. Uh, right. But you know, some people just want to go for it, which I understand. But I get it. but yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think you have to look if you're in a room like that. There's a couple tools you can go if you Google like a room mode calculator. Um, you can look at like, for instance, uh, a 10 foot deep room, you know, uh, a 40 hertz tone. I keep mentioning 40 hertz tone because it's it's just easy. But tuned to A440, um, a 40 hertz tone is like 20 to 22 ish feet long for a single cycle, right? Which means if your if your room's 10 feet deep, you're pretty much going to be almost exactly out of phase in the middle of your space. Right. If you don't do something to accommodate that. So um, so once again, the, the speaker size thing, usually if, if you look at the lowest frequency um, in the, the frequency range that we provide in the specification, which is how accurately can the speaker reproduce? Uh, usually it's a 1K tone at one meter um, within this frequency spectrum. It's usually within a dB. So something, for instance, like a solo six goes down to 40 hertz. Right. Um, that's why I use it as a reference. So it will create, it's still going to cause uh, some, some low frequency issues in, in that space, no matter what you do, but there's some certain things you can do to mitigate some of those issues, right? Your playback level is, is really, right. really critical. The right. more energy you pump into that room, the more exacerbated those, those anomalies are going to be. Um, but yeah, in a situation like that, I probably typically recommend uh, something like a, a five inch or six and a half inch driver in those cases. Um, a lot of guys are doing, you know, who may be doing like rock stuff or EDM stuff or something that's really, really bass heavy. There's a fundamental conflict there, right? Because they want to hear 30, 
right. but what they're hearing at 30 would ne is never going to be accurate no matter what they do. So, so I think in, in that case, a set of headphones are, are a good example. But in a, in a room that's treated, I think a five and a half, five, six and a half inch driver uh, in that territory is, is really great. Um, but you also have to ask yourself, how far are you going to be from your speakers too? Right. 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 So that, that's a good question. So how far yeah. away should you be from your speaker and should, cause if let's say you're in a square room, which is a typical bedroom, um, yeah. how far away, does it really matter how far away from the front wall? Like if you're sitting in front of the in front of your mixing station and your speakers are pointed at you, there's a wall probably in front of you. How, yeah. does it really matter how far away the monitor is from the wall and how far away then you're sitting from the speaker? Yeah, I mean it. It can <laughs> all this. All this stuff. There's That's there's a multi, there's a multitude of variables, right? But but yeah, it absolutely can. You know, in in, in a situation like uh, you know, like that ten by ten bedroom you're you're referring to, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of cases putting a speaker closer to that rear wall. The concern is a lot of older speakers used to be rear ported, so right. that that low end information would push up against the wall, and you, you have bass buildup. Um, and you're going to have that from any adjacent surface, whether it's a wall or a desk, you're going to get kind of s some sort of resonance that's going to increase the interaction of the space. So that's, so that's true. Um, but depending on the depth of the room, sometimes putting a speaker closer to the wall can actually be a good thing because you're limiting the number of, of low frequency nodes um, that fall into a space in any phase anomalies that may happen there. So, um, but good rule of thumb, where I tell everybody to start is, is you use the 38% rule. If you're not familiar with the 38% rule, I'm probably not the best person to explain it. But um, when you talk about any space, you go into the space, say the, the length of the room is 10 feet, as you said, from front right. to back wall. Um, your mix position should be approximately 38% into the, the front front 38% or the rear 38% of your space. Right. Why that is, I don't know, but there's a bunch of acousticians who are way smarter than myself uh, who can who can tell me the exact reasoning for that. But my understanding is that it's, that percentage does a good job mitigating room interaction and room anomalies in, in terms of just the average the average square or rectangular box, right? So start at that 38%. If it's 10 feet, that means you're going to be 3.8 feet away from your, your back wall, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you you depending on your desk and your setup or whatever, you, you want to draw an equilateral triangle between right. your ears and the speakers, right? So that in equilateral triangle could be two and a half feet away. Um, that equilateral triangle could be five feet away if you're talking about the rear 38%, right? right. It, it, it really just depends on how that that's set up. But those are kind of the two things is just figure out wh where you're going to end up in that space and then make sure you have an equilateral triangle. So information from the left speaker or the right speaker isn't hitting your ears out of phase or before an another in terms of delay. Because if it's your left speaker is closer to your left ear um, than the right one is and your hearing is, is the way it should be, um, if the left speaker is closer, you're going to perceive that snare drum that's pan center a little left. Right. And the vocal sure. a little left because it hits your ear a little bit earlier. Right. So, that's right. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of starting there and then moving forward, I think is, is, is usually the best course of action to kind of figure that out. Um, and then, you know, that also kind of dictates how big of a speaker you're going to do too. Because if you're, if your list effective listening distance is say, say you only have an arm's length between yourself and your speaker because mm -hmm. of your room dimension, um, a bigger speaker is typically intended to throw um, that signal further, right? Right. And the effective listening distance of something like we have a little shape 40, that's like a little four inch driver speaker within an arm's length. It sounds, you would never even know it's a four inch driver. Like you'd be like, wow, this is a six, 
six and a half inch driver, it's a pretty big size speaker. If you had your eyes closed, whatever, the moment you move further out than an arm's length, all of a sudden your low end just starts falling off. That speaker just isn't designed to be used further away than that. And the same thing is true of a bigger speaker. If we had a, a twin six and you were within arm's length, it's probably too close. You really need to be to be a bit further back. So it's very situation dependent. I know that's kind of gray, but no, no, that's good. So that's a good rule of thumb. So it's about 38% away from that front wall, three, say 3.8 feet away. Mm-hmm. And then an equal, and then, the, and then the perfect triangle, which, you know, people we've talked about a lot on, on, on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And then with acoustic treatment, again, if the room is only 10 feet deep, as you said, unless you have base trapping in those corners and some other kind of diffusion or some other kind of absorption on that back wall, that low, that low, uh, uh, frequency is going to hit that wall. It's going to come back. It's going to bounce back. We need to absorb that as much as possible. And the same thing with the front wall, right? That's why the acoustic treatment is so important because it'll make all of this, any speaker by any brand, not sound it's optimum. If you're not in, if you don't have the acoustic treatment in the right spot, you think you're getting, you'll think the speakers don't sound right or they don't sound great. And it's not the speaker, it's your environment, right? Yeah. A hundred percent of the time, you know, the conversation where the guy's like, man, I, I mixed, you know, I, I mixed the track of sounding great in my room. I took it out in the car and it's like, I either had way more bass than I was expecting right. or not enough, or there was no bass at all. That's right. But that's, that's just a room mode, you know, and how far or in or out of that room you're sitting is, is going to be dictated by that. And it, it could be the front 38%. It could be the back 38%, but you typically want to avoid anything kind of halved in, in a, in a room dimension, you know, too, but, uh, but yeah, bass traps are killer, but even bass traps in a small space like that, there's really not much you can really do even below 80 Hertz, you know, unless you just have the space for a lot of mass, because that's, that's the only thing that stops it really is mass and, and just different types of material, you know? Right. Right. So the deeper your room is, the better off you're going to be from, from, from a low end point of view. Right. Perspective, yeah. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because yeah, it has room to dissipate. Right. And it's, it's really just phase. Right. It's, it's just low right. end. It's, it's just low end canceling itself out in your, in your room. Um, so, you know, if I keep harping on this 40 Hertz tone, just cause it's an easy reference, but you know, if your if your room is, is, is exactly 22 feet deep mm-hmm. and let's just assume that this, this tone's exactly 22 feet deep. It isn't, it's approximately that, but all of a sudden the phase relationship at that frequency is, is perfect. It's not out of phase at all. So you're never going to have an issue of 40, um, you know, in, in a scenario like that, um, in terms of phase, now in terms of frequency response, it's a whole different thing, but yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot there. So I guess <laughs> yeah. the takeaways are if you're, if you're looking for monitors, the first thing you want to do is, well, what, what size space are we going into? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how far away can you be sitting from your speakers, depending on your room situation, the 38% is a great way to start in that may or may not work perfectly in every situation, but so right. how far away are you going to be sitting away from those speakers and how much acoustic treatment are you able to and willing to put into that room to be able to? And then once you have those three things figured out, if we're talking about a 10 by 10 space, you're saying like a six and a half speaker or a smaller is probably the way to go. Eight, 10, 12 is probably not going to be conducive yeah. that small. Yeah. When yeah. you start getting up into that eight inch woofer or larger, you probably need a room that's twice the size, right? So you probably need like a 20 foot plus depth, depth room and maybe even a 15 or 20 foot wide room, right? You almost double the space in order to get, you know, acoustically treat and set yourself up in a position where those speakers are going to sound the way you would intend them to sound, right? 
Yeah, ideally, you know, and I think anybody who's making the investment instead of studio monitors who doesn't have treatment or like think of it as one big thing, you know, and I know that's a little more daunting because it, like acoustic treatment's not fun to buy. That's not sexy. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's just not, it's not exciting, but you really should think of it as, you know, and frankly, probably invest a little bit more in the, in the treatment side of things. There's a, whether you're doing a DIY thing, which you can certainly, there's a lot of, really great DIY resources out there to build your own panels or you're buying pre-made panels from some company. Um, you know, there's a lot of resources out there, uh, companies who do free room evaluations and, and things like that who can help you kind of understand a little bit more about your room specifically. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, it, you have to take a really holistic approach. You know, if your concern 100% is this thing translating to the outside world. Um, well, I think for mixing, right, that's probably the biggest, yeah. that's probably the biggest challenge is you, you sure. want to be able to, whether you're mixing for clients or just mixing your own music, you want to be able to, as you said, take your mix on a CD or a thumb driver, however we do it today, leave your studio, put it in the car and have in this, in the low end is always the challenge. It's, it's not normally mm -hmm. the mids and the highs, but it could be, but it's really the base that it, what you think it sounded like is really what it sounds like when you go bring it to other systems. Yeah. And that has everything to do with acoustic treatment, the room and everything that we're talking about. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first part, part one of two of our interview with Josh from Focal. A lot of great information there. You may want to go back and re-listen to it again and really consider a lot of the things that we talked about, you know, studio monitors and the placement and acoustic treatment in the room. And we've talked about these things a million times in the podcast, different episodes, especially acoustic treatment. We've talked about it on live streams together. You've seen it on videos, in videos, on my YouTube channel. Um, and you guys have written me lots of emails talking about this topic. So it is really important. It's not just buy a great set of sounding speakers, drop them in your room, and everything is going to work itself out. There is a bunch of planning. There's a bunch of thought that goes into it to really get the best result. And at the end of the day, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who mixes music, at least on some level, whether it's your own or someone else's. And if you want that mix to translate, a lot of these points that we talked about today absolutely ring true. So I hope you learned something today. And I want to thank you so much for joining me. Now, Make sure you uh, you subscribe to this podcast because next week we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to jump into the topic of subwoofers and how that plays an, uh, a role in all of this. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. If you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube, make sure you give me the old thumbs up and hit that notification bell. Now, because you stuck around to the end of the episode, I want to make sure that I give you guys something for sticking around. So if this is your first time here, go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Make sure you get your free mixing course that's on the website. It's worth about a hundred bucks. It's my gift to you just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. If you really dig my training and you like that course and you want to check out some of my other paid training courses, I want to give you a discount. The discount coupon code that you can use at checkout is podcast30. That'll give you a 30% discount on any training course on my website. Again, link in all the stuff will be in the show notes below. So until next week, where we pick up our conversation with Josh from Focal, I've been Dave with the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Thank you so very much for listening and watching, and I'll talk to you guys really soon. See ya.